0: Kick Down the door, yeah. It's
1: oh. getting a creative flow and,
0: and listen. I don't know if it's still gonna do some damage, it's still gonna crush it. I reckon they're happy
1: mistakes. <laughs> that one's yeah, so yeah. sick. The friends are like, We're well, not becoming an artist, like, you should drop that. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, Yeah, but I
0: love it so much, I can't. Oh, yes, <laughs> <I'm> that Happy
1: crap podcast. Shit, yeah, well, 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 welcome to Happiness and Crap. This is a podcast about creatives, the weird and wonderful people that do things differently, take risks, get their hands dirty, and draw their own unique lines through life. This episode is Ground Zero, an introduction into your hosts, Brett Canellan and Luke O'Kay. Generally, there will be the two of us asking the questions, so we can cover all angles. But today, this episode is all about us and how we've come to be on the airwaves, infiltrating your ears. Who are Brett Konellon and Luke O'Gay? Where do we come from? And what have we done with our lives? Hmm, a few things, I guess. So, settle in and we'll see you on the other side. Do-do-do. Hello. <laughs> Greetings, Bretson. We're here finally. There's coffee. We got it all. We do. We're set up.
0: Yep. What uh what are we doing today?
1: <laughs> Gonna do a little bit of an intro mm-hmm. on the host that will host Happiness and Crap. And Highline and any other stupid podcast that we come up with.
0: (laughs) Any other way we can distill our brain onto uh, some audio waves. Audio, audio, Uh, audio. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. My name is Brett Ellen, and we've got... Luke O'K. And uh, between us, we're going to try and take you through a a kind of bit of an intersection of both of our brains and hopefully talk to some really interesting people while we're at it.
1: Yeah, so we'll sit down with artists and designers entrepreneurs surfers anyone that kind of tickles our fancy I guess Ugh, I hate that term <laughs> <laughs> you gotta throw it in there sometimes though. so uh, we'll start with you Brady mm-hmm. so this this episode is gonna be a bit of an introduction to us both so you you weird people out there that are going to bother listening to us get to know who we are and what we're about. So I met Brett probably way over ten years ago. I was trying to think
0: today when when that would have been, and I can remember the first surf I went for with you, like
1: yeah, Bombo, yeah, 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 and the waves are horrible. I think I borrowed a set of your fins. Yeah, <laughs> that was like the only reason I went surfing with you. Yeah. <laughs> And that's how we've remained friends for so long, <laughs> a set of borrowed fins. <laughs> yep. Yeah, you would have been
0: 15 at most. 15 or 16, yeah, I couldn't drive.
1: No. Nah. I think you had your old Corolla. Sigma. Sigma. Sigma wagon. Yes. Mitsubishi Sigma. I think it was a beast. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that was, um, I can't exactly remember how how we met, but I think it was just through through surfing and... Through yeah. board riders yep and you just hit me up and said let's let's go surfing do a bit of filming Yep. and being a frothing grom I was always kind of keen to be involved especially at that point was just trying to surf as much as possible and if I could get someone to film at
1: the time that would be sick as well yeah absolutely a couple of us boys ran a little uh, creative hub organization called local artists division kind of still going this podcast is going to be housed under that umbrella and uh, we used to put on exhibitions and the odd surf comp and i remember organizing one of the surf comps and it's just like a, a big deal for our small town and it was like invite only it was just our friends we had like 50 of our friends that would just rock up to the beach and we'd set up tents and lounges and DJ decks and just take over the beach. No, no council approval or anything like get that. Get power from the surf club. Yeah, just bust a window open and steal the power. <laughs> and I remember, you, I think it was your mum hit us up and was like, "My son would love to get surfing your comp and all this <laughs> stuff." I'm like, who are you? Who's yeah. your son?
0: <laughs> yeah, she was always looking out for me. <laughs> yeah,
1: good old Gail.
0: Yeah. I suppose that was that was the start yeah I remember those those early days I think um, the the wedgerama wedgeroni wedgerama which one was it Wedgeroni?
1: Wedgeroni. yeah and um, and then it just became known as the wedge comp
0: yeah yeah I remember that 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 first sort of comp that we had just remember that there was that six set up on the beach at wedge and had a few fun little waves and then it was just cool like having just a, a really cool little community vibe there pretty sick yeah it was just different to any comp i'd sort of surfed in at that that age at that time like mm. it was way more fun it just introduced a bit more fun into
1: surfing How yeah it was so fun it was yeah. the funnest day like everybody frothed on it yeah we did probably what five five years i, I think, think so yeah and like well like me and joel were the two guys that um set it up and we were we were young ourselves. We were only like 18 from the first one that we did. And just the response that we got, everyone just had that much more fun. Like yeah. it wasn't like a board session, way cruisier and looser than that. Everybody just barbecue, beers, everyone commentating. Like it was like a, it was loose. Hey? Yeah. It was so sick.
0: I think that, that was kind of good for... um for the type of people we had surfing in the area at the time, there wasn't that many people that were taking comps super seriously. So no,
1: but was there just, was a lot of good surfers. A lot
0: of good surfers, but yeah, no one no one really going full out at like
1: doing comps. Except for Reese.
0: Except for yeah, Rhys and I mean myself and, and Nick were kind of doing a few, but for for a lot of the, the surf community it's more just about having a good time and, mm. and enjoying it and that was that was a sick little outlet for that. It kind of really tied together um I suppose through through you and your art background um just that that connection to art that surfers kind of have as well yeah which was which was cool and I think at that point especially for me was um where I realized that that side of that kind of introduced me to the art side of life because I hadn't really done much of it before I never really was one of those kids that was super talented at drawing Hmm. but it got me in more of a creative space like just trying to a bit more creatively, like yeah. Looking at you guys and what you can do with an event and, and stuff like that, yeah. Kind of kick started myself, which was cool,
1: yeah. Like, yeah, I was always drawing on surfboards, and Joel was too yeah. at that point. And then I remember you and Nick just going hard on drawing on your boards as well, <laughs> yeah. But you guys are how much younger than us, like eight years, yeah. So it was like. It was just a cool environment because you guys are the next generation coming up under us, and we just looked at you guys. You guys are just, you had your head screwed on, and you were just fun to be around. Like, you weren't like a lot of young kids that were just being stupid. Like, we were like, you guys are legends. Like, we just want to kind of mentor you a little bit and set you on a bit of a path. Like, it wasn't like anything formal or anything, but. Just come surf, hang out, paint in the garage, whatever. Yeah. Film, make vids, take photos.
0: Yeah, and that's that's what it was for the those next couple of years. It was more just about, um, like I remember those times in Kano's garage, just talking about talking about light vision and and art and stuff like that. Mm. Just surfing and getting Joel to film whenever he could be bothered. <laughs> <laughs> Putting a few little vids out is pretty cool. It was, yeah. Um, yeah Nick Nick and I had a little little blog we were running back when blogs were were a thing.
1: Yeah, happy, was, happiness and crap. Yeah,
0: yeah. Um, Such a good name. <laughs> yeah, I know. Need to take that into something else. Happiness and
1: crap podcast. Yeah, <laughs> coming yeah. next to you.
0: Now we're talking. <laughs> um, but yeah, that was that was kind of I think since since meeting you guys and being introduced into your circle of friends and like wider group of friends which were more like the art base of things which was going through your your exhibitions that you'd set up and stuff like that it was it was cool and I think it shaped kind of the the direction that at least I know myself and Nick have kind of gone in now um which is cool because we're still involved in in that that side of things which is really good
1: yeah for sure you guys were a massive part of the Broken Dreams exhibition that we put on for Take Three for the Sea. Yeah. And helped got, get that up and running. And, yeah, that was so sick to have you guys involved in that. Like, that was a, probably the biggest show that we've put on to date. And the way you guys, like, pulled together and got shit done. It's pretty, pretty skits.
0: Yeah. that was That was really interesting to be a part of, too. That was one of the first ones that... I know myself and probably Nick as well had, had a, a bit of um, input and into how it was all sort of run and put together and just not only figuring out how to get it all to come together but dealing with artists and <laughs> what a struggle that can be sometimes and just just remember like when we were setting up like an hour before the exhibition was meant to start and I was like is this what it's always like and you're like yep <laughs> <laughs> every single time it doesn't matter how prepared you are just, yeah there's always this last hour
1: you give yourself a year to set like get shit organized get it all up and running and it's the, the day of the exhibition an hour before and you still have artists like finishing their <laughs> artworks or yeah bringing their pieces in right as like doors are about to open yeah <laughs> we like, like si-
0: Siobhan she was <laughs> bringing her stuff in like 30 minutes before and we're like, I think
1: mm-hmm. she'd bring it in after the doors were open we just were like get <laughs> it up on the wall <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah which is funny and I think um, that's something we want to explore a bit on this podcast is not it's not just the art that you kind of see on the walls in the exhibition it's it's all that stuff that goes on behind um can kind of learn from talking to people who are who are artists or people that deal with artists um kind of getting inside their heads and seeing what it's like to to be a part of that space because it's definitely a really interesting one to to talk to people about Mm -hmm. artists themselves are some of the most interesting people you talk to and that is an obvious thing because it all comes out in their work. They're all interesting people and they all put it all down on on canvas.
1: Yeah, it's just a different mindset. Yeah. And, like, the reason why they are such good artists is because they're not organised and they're not like normal people.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, their their brain works in a completely different way. Yeah. And you're one of them too. I am. (laughs) (laughs) You're one of them. I'm I'm not as blessed with the, the gift of art. I think I have a, a creative personality and I'm good with, with the ideas. But when it comes to putting paint on a brush, I'm, I'm not as, it <laughs> doesn't, doesn't transfer, especially as I'm really interested in it at all. It's, um it's all, all, I suppose, it's all the whole process, which I find really interesting.
1: You're not an artist, artist, but you're creative. Yeah. And...
0: I think being able to look into a lot of artists minds through, you know, being associated with them and talking to them, you, you get that, that bit of background and I think it's cool to to have that. Um, whether I can put it on, on canvas or not, doesn't really matter. I just no. like enjoying art and I think um, that comes in so many different forms, whether it's, you know, just, just like looking at, at the cool stuff that a lot of guys that you and I know to, I mean, it comes out in so many different forms in filmmaking, music, <clears throat> Like there's, there's such a vast spectrum of things you can enjoy as art that I think um, is a huge part of the world we live in.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like, yeah, just because you're not putting paint on a canvas doesn't mean you're not an artist. Like, yeah. you live a pretty creative lifestyle, so, um, taking photos, filmmaking and all that kind of stuff. It all, it all sits under being creative and yeah you live the lifestyle as much as anybody else and you have like a really good eye for design and art and um, music obviously not an eye for music but <laughs>
0: <laughs> a surfer's ear for music yeah can't hear it half the time because <laughs> my ears are so ruined but but yeah it, like like you said it's all that that one culture which which is what we want to explore a lot on, on this podcast. Yeah. Um,
1: and that, yeah, like I'd throw surfing in that creative bucket. Like definitely. Like waves are a canvas and... Yeah. Yeah. yeah like you, you, you can
0: choose how you draw those lines for sure. Exactly. You can be pretty pragmatic and just go three to the beach or you can grab a different type of board and get all, all soul on it and draw some different lines.
1: Yeah, like I i watch your surfing and um you are one of my favorite surfers to watch and just because you do draw such different lines like you won't ride a wave the same even if the wave does the same thing i think that's what most kids like look up to you in our hometown area because you like you just draw a different a different line on every wave
0: yeah that's something that I don't often really think about but I especially now I have a, a lot more fun with my surfing and really try and I think it's more just about like obviously it's it's cool to do the highest performance of surfing but something I've realized especially more recently is um, it's it's good to get a good feeling from surfing as well like you, mm. I can come in from a surf and not have done the best moves or whatever but if I come in feeling good from it Yeah. And you can achieve that in so many different ways. Yeah.
1: Just riding different equipment and having a different approach. Yeah. And I find myself getting trapped on like the high performance thing. Yeah. So often. Yeah. And just coming in frustrated and being like, fuck, that sucked. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But if I took out a different board and had a different mindset, I would be having way more fun. And every time I'd take out a different board, I'm like, oh, that was so fun. Yeah instead of just like paddling out oh, i'm gonna blow airs and ride every single wave as hard as i can yeah, <laughs>
0: just just, bulldog your way around the lineup yeah and I mean, it's it's definitely easy to to do that and i can i get enjoyment out of doing that as well yeah when like when you, when you it, go through phases for sure yeah. like it's i think it's good to to have that bit of range like i just yesterday ordered a, a longboard and like a, a little five six fish like they're two completely different boards to what I'm used to riding, but it's kind of, they're going to be good to have just for those days where I don't feel like grabbing the 5'10", 5'11", shorty and going top to bottom. Like it's mm. it's cool to slow it down a little bit and just enjoy it, enjoy the ride a little bit more.
1: Yeah. Do you think that that's a result of your accident? Because you seem like you, so. Yeah. You seem like you're on a high-performance path. Yeah. You're like, I'm going to go for top-tier surfing and that's what I'm gonna do yeah
0: yeah well that's that's where I was at and at the time of my accident I was I think I was probably hitting the peak of where my surfing was at the time yeah not on an individual competing scale but how I felt surfing and then there were a couple of like board riders events where we'd done really well and I felt like my surfing really helped the club to get those good results
1: yeah Um, your surfing at that time was insane and I think the scary thing was, like, all of us local guys that knew, knew that you, like, still had two or three gears to notch up and you already had a really good point.
0: Yeah. Yeah, which was a, a really, it was an exciting time in, in my life. Like, it was kind of had had those few results, was feeling good, started really training hard and going down that more performance route and then had a bit of an intervention with a with a large fish but
1: (laughs) so we won't we won't touch on the accident just yet yeah we'll kind of step back a little and get a bit more of your story from growing up yeah and then um we might come back to that towards the back half of this little intro yeah to brett cannellen a lot of people probably know the story but it's a super interesting story and We'll get there down the line. Let's find That's out a bit more about Bretty.
0: Yeah, but yeah, I suppose the where where we're going with that was, yeah, when when all that changed and kind of went through a lot of I suppose there was a large large amount of time where I wasn't sure if I was going to surf again and how much surfing I was going to do. Mm. So just being able to come out the other side of that and realize i can still live my life and stuff and especially with surfing i i think that has led me to take a bit more enjoyment in riding different boards and different equipment and yeah just um i suppose yeah just enjoying it more for for the fun that it is because when i look back at the surfing i was doing beforehand it was exciting and i loved doing it but it was Um, super serious but it was really serious and it's easy to get trapped in that and Mm
1: your approach now is like so much more from a fun and like a just a mindset that you're so grateful to yeah. be able to be in the water which has totally shifted how you look at look out and ride a wave and yeah. what board you're going to paddle out with that day
0: yeah yeah that's totally true like the, i mean the last three mornings i've ridden a little 5 8 20 which i never would have ridden before and It's only been chest high, but I've had so much fun surfing it. Mm. Just enjoying it. has just been myself and then one other friend out there and just having a a little time on on a little bit different equipment. But that's um, drawing completely different lines to what I would have in the past.
1: Yeah. And when you were younger and you are looking up to us and kind of looking at the creative lifestyle that we were leading, but now we're looking at you and taken inspiration from how you're approaching surfing now because we kind of were stuck in that serious surf mentality as well yeah yeah now that you're just having fun and creating different lines writing different boards like that's inspiring to us to just look at things differently yeah which is so so mental yeah sick
0: it's it. just I,
1: recalibrated our whole group, I think. Yeah, yeah.
0: It does a, a lot of people, I know. Um, and I don't know if that's just through me talking so much, but um, that is, like, one thing that I try and get across to people is that, yeah, you can have so much fun, like, being being able to be here on the planet and, like, enjoy, enjoy the waves, enjoy sunshine and stuff like that. Like, it's super cool what you can do out there. And I suppose all that, going back to... The art it all translates to that. Mm. Um
1: Yeah, it's kind of just like painting canvases. Yeah. With like oil paint and that's all you do. Yeah. And eventually you're gonna get over it. You wanna evolve your craft and um explore new mediums and different different paints, different brushes. Yeah. And it's exactly the same with the surf. Yeah. It's like you just gotta Keep trying new things, otherwise, you just get over it, yeah. get frustrated. And so, yeah, um, growing up, we both went to the same high school, but we're in obviously different age brackets with that eight year difference. How much has Kiama, our hometown on the south coast of New South Wales, shaped your outlook on life? I
0: think fairly, it's been significant, yeah. And it's something when I reflect back on it, I realize it a lot more, yeah. Um, like being able to live so close to the beach like you're immediately in that beach lifestyle like you pretty much as you grow up you're gonna do nippers as a kid which is gonna teach you how to be in the ocean and um, how to deal with waves and stuff like that but just that accessibility to so much I suppose fun things to do whether it's surfing or um, like rock jumping
1: and, <laughs> which is jumping off a rock into the ocean yeah
0: which there's some some really fun ones to do, to do around home i just look back on my childhood like it was so like it was just centered around the ocean like i'd wake mm. up in the morning go have a look at the waves and then pretty much just go home put a wetsuit on and that was me for the like for the day i like could just stay full full day wetsuit where i like just <laughs> full surf kid like the blondest hair like (laughs) just would spend all day in the ocean
1: yeah salt crusted eyes blonde hair that's it yeah that was most of us from that town
0: that's it and i think a lot of that is kama itself is it's a seaside town which has a really large proportion of elderly people living there yeah so (laughs) you you, um find yourself like you, you get your friends that are sort of your age and I suppose the beach is the main place that the elderly people don't really occupy. <laughs> <laughs> you you can make that like the the fun, fun place that you know a lot of young people hang out, and there was a huge community of young people, yeah, enjoying that when it was like when I was growing up. I'd assume it would have been the same when you were younger, too, right? Yeah, for sure. As far as like other things, Kaim has got going for it, like it. I mean, now it has a really rich, like, cafe culture, which is what a lot of people find. Like, I think there's something like 28 or 30 cafes in Kiama. It's ridiculous.
1: (laughs) And they've all just sprung up in the last five years. Yeah,
0: yeah. So, I mean, that's one thing that has shaped my love of coffee. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if I drink as much coffee now as what I do if I didn't live in Kiama and grow up there. I mean, it's got at skate parks and um, going through school, it was... Like, your surfers and your skaters and, and stuff like that were basically, like, the the cool kids. Mm. Um, you've got, like, your, your rugby players as well and stuff like that, but most people I went to school with surfed. Yeah,
1: and we were super lucky with our high school offering surfing as a, um, as a sport. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, we w- would walk down to the beach and surf during school time. Yeah. <laughs> like, that is crazy to think about like i hope our kids get to experience that
0: yeah oh well, one of one of my favorite memories from school was um we had sports and rec one afternoon we had like a double which means we went down to surf beach and nick was in my class then too and we had a substitute teacher we had nigel bolak <laughs> yes he's like Who's an absolute legend he's like he grew up his parents lived next to me when i was younger so <laughs> yeah right um was have known him for ages but like he's he's that he's the cool teacher through school you probably wouldn't have had him while you were at school but no um he's that one teacher that everyone's like yes we got Nige today like (laughs) he's sick so we um we went down to surf beach and it was six foot and absolutely firing (laughs) and we we get there and Nick and I were like oh my god look at it (laughs) and um Nige sits class down he's like oh guys it's pretty solid out there today um, we're not going to be going in the water and then looks at Nick and Hinge and goes, but you two out there <laughs> <laughs> and it was just us out there. Like there was no one else around cause it was like middle of the day on like a Tuesday or a Thursday and it was just firing <laughs> and That's he just insane. let us surf for like two hours. It's so good.
1: So what, what was the rest of the class doing? They were just sitting on the beach. <laughs> Building <laughs> like, sandcastles. Yeah,
0: seriously. <laughs> like no one was allowed to go swimming cause like when it gets that size, it's super dangerous to swim there. Yeah. But it was just on the (laughs) cork.
1: I I remember doing those sport and rec classes and our teachers were older and weren't as clued into the ocean as Nige would have been. Yeah. And I just remember, like, kids that couldn't surf or that were beginners just getting slaughtered. (laughs) (laughs) Our our teacher wasn't like, no, you're not going out. It was just like, if you want to go out, go out. (laughs) And... um. Obviously, there's me and Joel and a couple of other boys that would dominate and have heaps of fun. And there would just be the other crew that weren't as clued in and just getting smoked on the inside. You'd just watch kids just get sucked up and over on big sets and you'd just be losing your mind <laughs> laughing.
0: That's so good. Yeah. That's so good. But I mean, like Kymer itself, do you think it's changed much since you were growing up to, to now?
1: Uh, fair bit yeah. in terms of like development and cafes and tourist traps. Probably if you're still a kid growing up there now, like you'd still live the sa- exact same life that we did growing up. Yeah. It's just interesting, I think, to know like how people's hometown shape them into the totally. artists or creative or whatever it is that yeah. they do.
0: I is like on that note I don't think there was that much I don't think I seeked it as much but I don't think there was much of a creative outlet for for me when I was younger Mm. I think all of that kind of came when I met you guys and realized there was this whole other side of life that you can have a lot more fun with yeah like we said isn't as serious and can open your eyes up to so many different different things out there
1: yeah, I was just super lucky to fall into a group of friends that were making music in teen punk bands in the garage, like making garage music and thrashing about and having fun. And then I was on the creative art side and it's something that I always did growing up. So I was like, I'm going to study it at school. And I was like one of the only guys doing that at the time. It was like 30 girls and two guys. <laughs> I guess that's just a small town mentality. Mm. But I think I'd say that has probably changed a lot with our town now. I'd say there'd be a lot more kids doing art and creative things. It'd be interesting to know. The The funny thing about
0: Kaima that I find is it's the type of place where when you get to, like, age 17, 18, everyone wants to leave. Mm. Everyone realises that there's so many old people around and there's if you're not involved in a small community like surfing or um, like you guys had um, with Division, there's not a whole lot there. It's got the one, it's got Tories. It's like the one place you go to on a Saturday night and that's it. So everyone wants to like leave Kiama, but they always have in the back of their mind, they're like, I'd love to raise my kids here. Yeah, And I think that says a lot about growing up there is everyone I know is real appreciative of growing up there.
1: Yeah, for sure
0: um whether that just be lifestyle or creative opportunity i'd say it's more just lifestyle being being able to be in and around the ocean and having that freedom you're not in a big city or anything like that
1: yeah i think the small town thing you don't have all the infrastructure and stuff in place that a city's going to have so you got to be creative in your own way when i was growing up there wasn't skate parks we had to build skate ramps and stuff out of wood and just hijacking our parents power tools and (laughs) going rogue and making ramps and just doing anything that we could to fill the void when the surf was flat and i just think that that just breeds this kind of creativity that you can't get like if everything was given to you
0: yeah yeah for sure i mean the i think that's the main thing and the, the as far as like opportunities to progress with art and creativity i think the only one i know of would have been the support that kind of you've ever provided through light division or, or something like that because i don't think there's a whole lot there still now no. again it's just small towns there's not um i don't think there's not enough people to for a lot of people to kind of see a need for it mm. um which I find odd when it is something that can shape your personality and the direction you head in, in life so significantly.
1: Yeah. yeah. I'd love to be able to give like more back and get young kids into creative fields that are in small towns that don't see see it as an option because there is an infrastructure there. Um, but at the same time, like not having it there will breed some kind of creativity too. I'm sure there's probably kids... Setting up their own version of Lighter Vision and yeah, doing like I don't know I think with internet and social media, their eyes are open a lot more to that kind of stuff.
0: So yeah, it that'd be it'd be interesting to know your your take on this. But I'm guessing that side of things would be a lot different nowadays with social media, Instagram, Facebook, and stuff like that compared to when you were growing up. Which mm. like what what did you have to express, like your artwork? Like what do you have to show?
1: Yeah, I was just looking at older guys. There was like one or two guys above me that did art and I was like, they've kind of laid a bit of a stepping stone there to jump up on and um, at least not be scared to do art at school or whatever it was. But yeah, it it was kind of a bit weird when everybody else doesn't do what you do. Yeah but something in me is like pushing me in this direction. So I'm just going to follow it and see where it goes and make the most of it. Yeah, with social media and that, I would would think if you're a creative that you'd be following other creatives if you were younger. Mm. I don't know where you'd look, but you'd find it for sure.
0: That's interesting. We'll, um, we'll have a chat a bit more about where you get your creative inspiration from in a bit, but we'll shift focus a little bit on to Luke now. <laughs> um, I, I moved to Kaima when I was three years old, so I'm not a true local. You were born there, weren't you? Yep. So, I suppose, tell us tell us a bit about what it was, um, I mean, your early childhood, what shaped you to kind of get into art and... Um, yeah, what what shaped you to be the person you are today, from from an early age?
1: Yeah, that's. I can't even. I don't even have like a true answer <laughs> to that. Nobody in my family did art. I just remember being real young, sitting at my nan's house, which overlooked the beach, and just drawing pictures of the beach, like every Sunday, and. Yeah, the rest of the family were off doing their own thing, and I would just sit in the living room drawing. That just kind of stuck with me. And then through primary school and high school, I did art and kind of figured out I was semi good at it from a pretty young age. And I don't, yeah, I don't know why, like, why I picked up a pen and paper and just started drawing, but it somehow did. Yeah just kept going to go with it
0: i find that really interesting because for i think for a lot of people there will they'll have that background of like my my parents were painters or mm. like someone in my family had had a creative side like my my mom is um pretty creative and she's a, a good painter but I, I didn't get any of those genes yeah um i wish i did but i think that's the really interesting thing with you do you remember it was it yourself that kind of decided that you know I'm pretty good at this art thing or was there some early I suppose moments in your life where someone was like wow this is some cool drawings you're doing or
1: yeah like in primary school there was this one one class that I remember like one day we learned about Van Gogh and I was like this guy's the absolute man and I would have only been 10 and I just, like, recreated um, his artwork where he's, got he, he's chopped his ear off and he's bandaged it up. Yeah. And I remember the art teacher going, holy shit, like, <laughs> <laughs> this is pretty bang on. Yeah. And I was only, yeah, 10 or so. And um, I'd probably look back at, at it now and be like, it's pretty bad. But <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think the way I blended colour and stuff was at a decent level for how young I was. And just that confidence from getting that compliment from the art teacher. And I was like, this is, this is sick. This is fun. And like recreating art and mixing color and just mashing paint around and figuring things out. Um, Yeah.
0: Do you remember that teacher's name?
1: I don't. Yeah, that's weird. You could could say in a way,
0: like such an influential person (laughs) for you that basically has steered your life in this creative direction. Yeah,
1: like that was like the one of the first things that I remember where I would always get like my nan and my mum and dad being like, oh, that's a cool drawing Yeah, (laughs) when I was drawing pictures of the beach or whatever.
0: My parents did that and I was drawing stick figures. Yeah, (laughs) yeah.
1: You kind of, even when you're a kid, you know, to take a lot of that stuff with a grain of salt. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) Which cool. And so what, um did you develop a bit of a style early on or were you just into kind of recreating paintings that you like the look of?
1: Yeah, that stage is, is copying, yeah. which I think is pretty key to figure out like just technique, just how to play with paints or whatever the medium is. And I, I still don't think I, I have my own style at, at the moment. Yeah. like. I've never really gone out and been like, I'm just going to do this style of art. Yeah, which is weird because I probably I should approach that with like surfing yeah. and other stuff in my life, like you, like what you're doing with surfing. Yeah, but yeah, I'm happy to do drawing or painting, play with aerosol, play a collage, um, obviously design, and yeah.
0: Yeah, that's that's one thing with a lot of a lot of your art that I see is there is that super wide scope of what you are able to do, and I think um, for, I mean, from a creative point of view, that's probably something that lets you experiment a lot, mm. but also express. You're not really boxed in with how you want to express yourself. You can you can do whatever when it comes to that.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, which is, which is a cool, cool way to do it because it's like being stuck just performance surfing.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like
0: say, um, you, you basically have an entire quiver of boards when it comes to you doing your art, which is... Yeah. Which is, I think that's a pretty unique thing. Yeah,
1: and I never even looked at it until I was just talking about it then like that. Like I yeah. was just like, oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's sick. Do you remember the first artwork that you sold?
1: No, I don't even sell that many artworks. <laughs> <laughs> and I can't remember the first one. Yeah. I, I do get commissioned to do a lot of stuff. Like a lot of like when I was growing up it was like drawing on people's surfboards and I'd make money drawing on boards, which yeah. is always fun.
0: Yeah, you draw on a couple of mine. I remember the first one I got you to do. I just gave you one of my boards and you said, oh, I'll have a think about what I want to do and then you came back the next day and you go, Do you like eagles? I was like, yes, I suppose and you go, Good, that's what you get. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: yeah, I remember yeah, that yeah, board. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that was sick. That was that was like one of the first boards that I had that had like a sick bit of artwork on it. I had like a bunch of like pretty cool airbrush sprays on a few of my older boards. Oh not, yeah. You did. Not too. Like, when when I was younger it's just like I thought airbrush was the only thing you could get on a surfboard and like you were bringing this really cool, like, again it was kind of like the art that you were doing at the time but it was on a surfboard. It was like a sick functional bit of art that yeah a lot of people could show off and I remember there was a stage where you, you were doing art on so many different guys' boards.
1: Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That was pretty exciting. Like Mitch Colborne hit me up and all these I have a big name surfers and i was just like holy shit this is sick
0: <laughs> i suppose again trying to wind back a little bit what i suppose have there have you gone through any stages in like throughout your life where you feel like you have either um really wanted to focus on on like doing your artwork whether that be as an artist or working for a company or um, I suppose getting into, like you said, graphic design or, or something like that. Have, I, I know you've tried a lot of different things when it comes to that. Do you mm. think that's been beneficial for you trying to, again, just experiment and, um, and try a few different things? And do you think that's kind of shaped where you're at now?
1: Yeah, <coughs> for sure. Um, yeah, like I knew from a really young age That I was going to be a graphic designer, which is also super weird. Yeah, (laughs) I was—I didn't even know what a designer was at that point. I just somehow heard the term and just ran with it.
0: Sounds like a cool job. Yeah, it sounds. Yeah, (laughs) and
1: um, and I don't—I knew that I'd want to combine art and surfing, and that's where kind of yeah don't know how it all kind of came together but did design at college always had the art background and then kept doing art throughout college and after college and with the dream that i'd be working for surf companies and doing graphics on tees or mark their marketing imagery or whatever it was and yeah somehow got to tick those boxes worked for mambo worked freelance for pretty much every brand and did exhibitions for brands like Red Bull and Canon and Oakley and and then yeah somehow worked my way to being the men's designer for billabong
0: and that's that's where you're at now which, mm. um, I suppose like it, you've you developed that that I'll call it a goal but it's more just a general direction that you wanted to head in which was designing For surf brands Mm. now that you've reached that point is it is it what you thought it was going to be
1: i don't even know what i thought it was (laughs) going to be like when i was a kid i would just just ripping every poster out of mags i love like the imagery and the old billabong posters had these cool floral borders and like sick typography with their branding and just framing these epic surf shots. and i was like oh that's so sick and and then the mambo posters were just straight up crazy bits of art. And I'd, <laughs> I'd just have my whole bedroom wall and my cubby house out the back would just be plastered in this stuff. I don't, yeah, I don't, I didn't realise what that job would entail. But there was something there that caught my eye. These two things, art and surfing and that arty culture that lives in with the surf lifestyle. There's something there that I need to explore. And now that I'm in the billabong role, it's super fun. And it's pretty epic when you get to see your artwork on a T-shirt. Some guy walking down the street with meat pie in his hand. (laughs) And you're like, (laughs) yes, you legend. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we
0: saw it this morning when we were getting a coffee. Yeah. Like you see some of the stuff that you have either produced or helped produce. Mm. That must be pretty cool.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it is cool, and I guess that's kind of why you do it, but yeah, at the same time now, I'm at a different point in my life where the creative side isn't just the key factor. I'm 34 now, and yeah, you grow up, and you you get all these ethics and values that kind of shape your life, and you want to start implementing those into your creative sphere as well. So now it's about how can I have an impact with Billabong and, or whatever the brand is that I work for and make that a positive impact so the goods that I'm making aren't just pretty pieces of art, they're sustainable, they're ethically made, all those kind of factors That's- I need to look at and bring into my approach now
0: that's cool is that an approach you think that a lot of other artists in similar similar roles take on as well
1: yeah I think so I think being a creative you're the you know, like you're one of the front runners to being um, seeing like the problems of the world because a lot of the problems of the world inspire you to create and express your feelings and of how you see the world mm. a little bit like the canary in the coal mine well where, where at the forefront of seeing what's going on because our eyes are open to this stuff and we're just plugging plugging in and trying to find inspiration to create art and you're like, how do I make this this piece of art into shaping mainstream consciousness?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's again, like we and were it, talking about earlier today is there's so many things that you don't realise we're talking about, how many discarded coconut husks there are. <laughs> <clears throat> and you said surely you could, you know, mash them down and turn them into a textile. And as something that brands are starting to yep. do a little bit more of.
1: Yeah, so I you've just picked up a, a sponsorship of Fizzler and they're making their board shorts out of coconut husks. Yeah. And, well, a mix of coconut husks and plastic bottles. Yeah. And Billabong's making theirs out of plastic bottles.
0: Yeah, which I think, like, I, Billabong have been doing that for quite a while now. I remember I had a pair of boardies from i reckon i would have been about 15 years old i got a pair of bodies um they were like the dave rastovich specials and they they were made out of recycled plastic bottles 10 years ago that was that was 10 years ago so i mean that's something that i think it seems like it's always been in the back of everyone's mind is it Mm. do you think there's a bit more exposure for it now yeah or do you think it's like a, a cyclical thing that's Coming back and then it might disappear again. No. Nah. And what's it going to We're take? What do you think it's going to take for it to remain in the forefront of everyone's minds?
1: Yeah. When Billabong first did that body, it was so niche and <laughs> such a small part of what they did. And I don't, 10 years ago, there would have been the smallest segment of the population that was even remotely aware of the plastic pollution problem. Dave Rousevich being yeah. that guy that opened some people's eyes on it and thankfully Bill Bong jumped on it. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be a cyclical thing now. It's, it's about to tip into complete mainstream consciousness, I think. Yeah. Everyone's becoming a lot more aware. Like you go down the cafe, everyone's got their keep cup. Yeah. And people are seeing the destruction of the plastic pollution problems staring in the ocean online the videos that you see on youtube turtles getting straws stuck in their nose and yeah it's heavy stuff bird life dying yeah. full of plastic lids and stuff yeah like you can't turn your back on that once you see it
0: no that's it i mean when when i did get those pair of billabong boardies when i was 15 or whatever i got them because rasta was like one of my favorite surfers at that time just because he the first surf video i ever owned was blue horizon which had andy irons and raster on it so i'd always had him as one of my favorite surfers that's why i bought it back then and i was aware of the that they were you know made of recycled plastic Mm -hmm. but um i'm a lot more aware of it now and i think i won't say that was because of you know what i realized all that time ago with by owning those bodies but i think there's definitely more of a, a social push towards being a bit more conscious with not only what you're consuming, but what you're sort of what you're throwing out. Um, mm. Trying to live a bit more of a sustainable life is something that I know personally I've been trying to pursue a little bit more. I won't say it's easy. Like it's it's a thing that I think um, a lot of people take a bit of adjusting, or at least a little bit of education. Yeah,
1: for. once you're educated, it's just a habitual thing. You just need to make it a habit. Break old habits, which is the hardest part. And once those old habits are broken. And you, your new habits, thinking about what you're buying and what you're throwing out, it becomes so much easier once it's a habit. Yeah. it's Yeah, it's, it's a sad adjustment phase.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's that's it. And I think, like we were saying, that that awareness is a major thing. And um, for you being an ambassador for Take Three for the Sea, mm. um, tell us a bit about what that is and, and I suppose your involvement and what... Uh, what got you to be interested in that cause?
1: Yeah, so uh, five or so years ago, like I'd always be picking up bits of rubbish when I was a kid. I just had this universal karma mentality just seeing rubbish on the beach. And I was like, oh, you just got to pick it up. You get some good karma. You might get a couple good waves next week yeah. or something like that. <laughs> and so I'd always done that. And then when social media erupted, and I was living in Sydney and I just remember this one day where there was, it rained and all this rubbish had just been flushed out of the stormwater drains onto the beach and there was this, I was out surfing and there was this shit everywhere. I was just surfing in this super plastic and I was like, holy shit, this is horrible. Yeah. And I ended up just scooping up as much as I could out in the surf and then bringing it into the beach and then. Trying to get everything out of the stormwater system and clearing that and putting it in the bin. I had the thought, like, surely social media can play a role in this. If you can influence your friends with your art, then you can influence your friends and other people by picking up rubbish. And I was speaking to my friend about it and she was like, yeah, there's this group called Take Three for the Sea. And I was like, what? Sick. And I was so stoked that someone was doing it and I just hit them up. Actually, I don't know if I hit them up or if they hit me up. It was like this serendipitous thing of the universes coming together. And yeah, I can't remember the exact how it all came together, but yeah, the universe definitely aligned because I guess I was heading in the right path. Yeah, got on board with those guys and... Tim Silverwood, who founded Take Three for the Sea, was like, so what can you do for us? Yeah, you're an artist and you got a little following or whatever and that's cool and you can help us spread our message on social media but what can you do for us? And I was like, put on an exhibition. Let's Let's do this. I didn't want it to be an exhibition about my art. I've got a lot of crazy talented friends and at that point I didn't even have too many contacts in the surf industry but to make this as loud as possible and get it in front of as many people's faces as i can we need to get top tier surfers involved in this because they're going to reach way more people than just a few sydney street artists can get to and those surfers are surfing in the ocean every day seeing the problems that plastic pollution causes every day so let's get those guys on board and see how that can influence young surfers all around Australia and hopefully the world. And, yeah, so I sat down with a bunch of mates and just started brainstorming what can we do. And a big part of my life growing up was drawing on surfboards. Let's get all of my street artist friends to paint up surfboards. We'll get the boards from pro surfers and they can share how the board is coming along throughout the process in the lead up to the exhibition and then the pro surfers can share the end result and that's yeah that's what we did we hit up a bunch of pros got boards got all the artists to uh, contribute art and and then just put on a, a big event coinciding with we have the oz open of surfing in manly
0: that was cool would you that like we were mentioning earlier i had a bit to do with that as well. It was cool to see how all that came together and obviously kind of coming full circle for you. I mean, picking up rubbish as a kid and then, you know, your life progresses on. You start drawing on surfboards and then that all comes together when you pick up all this rubbish and realize you need to do something about this. Mm. You get the opportunity to organize, you know, a a big art show, which is going to raise awareness for this amazing charity that's doing great things out there by getting some of, like, your favourite artists and people that inspire you to draw on surfboards, which is, like, what what you've done so much growing up. Was that a pretty cool experience to see all that come together?
1: Yeah, that was crazy because a lot of the artists hadn't drawn on surfboards and that was kind of one of my favourite mediums growing up. It's a pretty cool canvas. It's something different to work with. And, yeah, just getting... Those prose boards and just having that story to tell and we'd align the pro surfer with an artist that kind of represented the same style Yeah, just seeing how that all came together was just such a epic experience and it
0: was cool because that that also forged a few little relationships between a few artists and surfers too yeah like yeah you saw a couple like was it mikey wright and kentaro that, yep um they they've done a bit of work since which is which is pretty cool. Like it's it's good to involve, you know, they're, they're two things that you love, surfing and art. Mm. And, and kind of, I suppose you're almost the catalyst for what has since become some really great things out of that.
1: Yeah, that was an epic little relationship to see Mikey Wright using Kentaro to draw on his boards throughout the next year. That was such a good pairing. Their styles suit each other so well. Totally, <laughs> couple of other artists like go on to do work for other surf companies and stuff as well Was really cool
0: yeah and i think that that speaks a lot about you as a person like as i know and i suppose artists in general but for for like for the common person they would have been thinking why didn't you just do all the art yourself get all this work for yourself and then then you it's gonna make your brand bigger and become bigger but that's that's not what you're about and i noticed that early on like when i first met you you were really pumped on sort of me surfing and i felt like you were really pushing me along and and kind of getting me more pumped to surf and surf better and um i think that's that's just who you are as a person you're you're really amped just to see other people doing well out there which is a unique thing to do and who would you say there's any people out there? Now that you're inspired by, you're stoked to see doing really well that that you've kind of seen grow from from an earlier sort of stage in in their their career.
1: Oh, yeah, that's a good question. Um, there is for sure, and I'm just mind blanking right now. <laughs> but yeah that that's what inspires me to be creative and. Live the lifestyle that I lead is just getting the people around me as excited about art and surfing and the creative lifestyle. And if I can give them a little platform to step up and do something cool, then that's the whole reason why I try and do what I do. I think it all comes back to that small town thing where I didn't have a platform and I had to create it myself. Mm. And if I can share that with other people, then that's going to inspire me tenfold rather than me just trying to create my own thing. As an artist, it's a pretty solo activity if you want to just haul yourself up in a bedroom and paint. And I've been there and done that and, yeah, you burn out on it and you need to be coming back to the world and finding inspiration to keep you going i think yeah giving people a platform to be able to do that is the biggest inspiration you can drive from that's
0: yeah that's cool i suppose yeah i mean the idea of why we're talking right now is to give people a bit of an introduction for for you and i and i think that's a, a pretty good introduction for you is and it links back to what we want to talk about through this this podcast is you know we want to talk to people who inspire us and and get us pumped to to better ourselves and kind of keep trying to create and, mm. and go further with what we're doing or, or pick up new things and um and and try those out i think it's between between the both of us i think we, we both have that mentality that we like we want to share between ourselves and then between other creative people you know some some good experiences that we but that have helped shape us but yeah, that we're using to, to go into the future with.
1: Yeah, absolutely. yeah A La division, local artist division has always been something that has evolved. It was never like this is a clothing label or this is something. It's always been this unique thing that started in a garage and evolved into exhibitions, evolved into surf comps, evolved into, now a podcast or whatever yeah. it was it's just about creating a hub that we can use as something that pulls other creatives in and then in turn they're going to go inspire other people and give them a platform
0: yeah that's it's all about i suppose <laughs> that's, that's good stuff
1: yeah i don't know how deep we want to go on this we've hit an hour and i'd So it's a pretty good introduction to both of us. You'll find out a lot more about us as we interview other people as well and sit down and pick people's brains. You'll see our personalities come out further down the track. But yeah, that's kind of who we are. What do you want to create in the future, Brett I I
0: have a... I mean, through through my experiences, I, I have a, an opportunity to create, I suppose, a platform and a space for for mental health. Um, mm. I think that's something that I have the capacity to use my personal experience and, and provide good example for people to follow. But not only that, like a, a good support network. Um, I'm really passionate about helping people when it comes to that. That's my sort of broad focus in, in life, but I'm so pumped on surfing and so pumped on sort of drawing some clean lines and um, whether that be with my average art or <laughs> or or on the wave, that's that's kinda that's what I'm pumped on at the moment. That's what I want to create. Sweet. And should I ask the same thing for you? Yeah, sure. What's your goal? <laughs> what are you what are you looking to create in the future?
1: Yeah, a bit like you, like healthy mental space that is gonna inspire young people to be the best that they can create relationships and yeah i'd say that's it really like it yeah well that's us what what would you like to destroy
0: what would i like to destroy oh if i can get an old printer that no one's using anymore <laughs> I don't like printers I have a constant battle with them so I'll destroy that <laughs> <laughs> for a physical thing but uh, um, for <laughs> to destroy I would love to destroy the fact that I suppose a lot of people grow up and think that you can be boxed in a certain idea of doing something um, I think everyone has the opportunity to experiment and try so many different things And yeah, life's there to be lived. So try as much as you can and use that to leave a
1: bit of a legacy for yourself. I would say the exact same thing. (laughs) Let's hit the stop button. Yep. That is it. Done. Ewan McGregor.